So I want you to turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Now that's kind of a hard book to find. You'll look, you'll probably uh, go to first to second Chronicles and take a right. That's in the Old Testament. Now you'll find it. Or you could go to Isaiah or Psalms and take a left. So it's kind of in between those books. The ninth chapter and the 38th verse is the text, but the 10th chapter, really, is the, is the amplification or the development of what he says in verse 38 of chapter 9. As a matter of fact, he, he describes this covenant or promise, this resolution that they make in verse 38 in chapter 10. So I'm going to read the 38 and we'll get to chapter 10 as we read, work through this. Now because of all of this, that is, because of all that is said in chapter 9, because of all of this, we're making an agreement in writing, a covenant, a promise in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites and our priests. At the beginning of every day, everyone has something in common with everyone else. It is obviously not geographical because we don't all live in the same place. It is not obviously sociological because we don't all have the same advantages, environment, or friends. It is not financial because there are some who are rich and some who are poor. And it is not physical, because some of us are good-looking and some of you are not. I mean, some of us are not. And, and some have black skin and others do not. And some have blue eyes and some brown. There is one thing of which we all have the same. Do you know what it is? It is time. The President of the United States has not been given 13 hours to do his work, and you've given 12 you have the same amount of time that the person who works with you has. So it's not a matter, it's not a question of, do I have time to do what I need to do? The question is, how can I best invest the time that I have? And what are the most important things to me? It's a question of priorities. Uh, Dodd, an industrialist who has a large corporation out in California, wrote in a, in a Fortune, in Fortune magazine a while back uh, an interview. It was an interview of him. Somebody asked him, what is the most difficult thing you've found to get people to do? He said there are two things. It's obvious. The two most, two most difficult things that I've found to get people to do, regardless of who they are, of these. One is to think he said, how much time do you spend in sheer thought, really thinking through something? And the second thing, he said, is to get people to do things in the order of their importance, in the maintenance of proper priority. If you look in the ninth chapter, you're going to find the, the, the description, the record of people in, in, in Jerusalem who are in some deep thought. They're doing some sheer thinking. And they're thinking about what God has done for them. They're reviewing their history. You read it if you have time tonight. That is, if you're willing to invest your time. 
They're doing some sheer thinking about and reflection upon what God has done in their behalf, what their lives had been and were. And as the result of what they came up with, because of all of what they really realized God had done, where He brought them from whence they had come, they decided they were going to make an agreement, a covenant, a promise to God, a resolution. They're going to write it out. They're going to put it in writing. They're going to make it a, a sealed document and they're going to put the names on it and they were going to seal it to authenticate it. They were making an agreement. And they were saying in verse 38 that this is going to be top priority. We're going to put first things first. And they seal this document. They put their signet on it. They sign their names to it. Now if your eyes will glance down to verse 29 of the 10th chapter to see how serious they'd gotten about this thing. And they said in verse 29 that if they make this promise to God, this covenant, this agreement, this resolution... New Year's or whatever. And if they did not keep it, they said, may a curse be upon our life. They made a promise to God and said, may a curse come upon us if we don't fulfill the promise. There's an interesting word in verse 29. It's the word oath. And it means literally to seven oneself. Not sever, S-E-V-E-R, but seven, S-E-V-E-N. And it has to do with what they did in light of the promises, the things that related to the promises they made. For the number seven was a sacred number to the Jews. There's an example of it in the 21st chapter of Genesis. You can just mark that down. and We don't have a worksheet tonight, but I hope you're taking a few notes. Write mother or whatever, and, and uh, it'll make it look like it. But in, ver- in chapter 21 of Genesis, Abraham made a promise with Abimelech, the king... And he sevened that promise. He oathed it. He sevened it in the sense that he gave to Abimelech the king seven ewe lambs. And when Abimelech saw them, he said, what does all of this mean? And he said, I want to give you these seven ewe lambs as a reminder that I have made a promise that I'm going to keep. Now what it all suggests is this that they, they, they were terribly serious when they made this promise to God. Now, if I can say that there is a number one flaw among the people of God, I think it would be this, our failure to take God seriously. I mean, we make promises to God that are so shallow and superficial. I mean, we don't take Him seriously or our commitment seriously, do we? I mean, we make promises to God we don't even remember two weeks later. Somebody asked Mark Twain one time, is it hard to quit smoking? He said, no problem. It's not hard to quit smoking. I do it all the time. It's not hard to make New Year's resolutions, promises to God. We do it all the time. And we make them and break them in the same breath, in the same day. How serious is it to make a promise, a covenant agreement with God? You look sometime at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 if you want to know how serious it is to make a resolution in the presence of God. And that verse says, that chapter says, it'd be better off never to make a vow than to make one and break it. Now who signed this resolution that he's talking about in chapter 9 verse 38? Well, chapter 10 tells us. 
said there were 84 people who signed this covenant. Now, that's not, very, that's, not, that's not a very large percentage. I imagine there must have been a million people in Jerusalem at the time. Thousands of them at least, ministerially speaking, a couple of million. And 84 of them made that agreement. I don't suppose the percentage is any better. I wonder how, many, how much of the membership of First Baptist Church would make a commitment, a covenant with God, and really take it seriously. Probably the percentage would be about like that. 84 out of a million. There were 84 people who signed it. Verses 1 through 8 says there were 22 priests, names them. Verses 9 through 13, there were 17 Levites, names them. Verses 10 through 27, there were 44 leaders or heads of homes. Now watch this. There were 44 heads of houses. This is going to be a family thing. Now, verse 28 says they had two things in common. Now, watch this. Verse 28 of chapter 10. They had two things in common. We've named them. We've identified who signed the covenant. These are the things they had in common. Number one, they had knowledge and understanding. That is, they had a knowledge of what God had done in their lives, and they had an understanding of what God wanted of them. I just take a little time to deal with that. The people who signed this covenant were aware of what God had been doing in their lives, and they were grateful for it. And they had a keen perception of the will of God for them. They knew what God wanted. Is there anybody here tonight who doesn't have a clear understanding of what God's been doing in the world since you've been here? I mean, can you see God in the things that have been happening in the world? I mean, can the very clothes you wear, the house you live in, the food you eat, the job you have, the benefit of your physical health, don't you see God in that? Is there anybody here who tonight has a, has a foggy perception of what God wants of your life? I mean, I really don't understand what God wants of me. Is anybody can say that honestly? I don't think so. A full knowledge and understanding. Second thing that kind of marks them out, they had in common was they were separated from the people of the land. They were separated from the people of the land. Now watch this. They drove this literary stake into the ground as a monument to remind them that they had put their name on a list that they would be a distinct person, not concerned about conformity. I don't care, they were saying. If it means I'm going to be different, I am willing to put first things first. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. And from this point on, I am going to be different in everything. Are you willing to sign the document? All right, what was the promise of the document? We're going to take a look at that. Verse 29b, generally saying, verse 29b says generally, that they were going to join with the kinsmen to walk in God's law given through Moses and that they were going to keep the commandments of God. Generally speaking, this was their promise. They're going to, they're going to walk in, the, in God's law that had been given through Moses. They were going to keep the commandments of God. They're saying the pattern of our life 
is going to be according to the written Word of God. And we're going to live like that regardless. Now, if I had a, a document like that, is there, is there anybody that signed that? Put your name on it, seal it, and say, God, if I don't keep this, I'll pray for a curse to come on me, my house. I'm going to walk according to the law of God, and I'm going to keep the commandments. I'm going to be different. I'm going to live my life according to the written Word of God regardless. Now, we live in an age of conformity. Believe me, we do. Ruth Barandine tells about giving this test to her students in school. She had a, on a piece of paper three vertical lines. They were very much, they looked about the same length, but they were different lengths. And she was going to ask them to vote by show of hand which was the next to the longest line. And, and she got 25% of that group. She, she got aside and told them, I want you to vote for the wrong one. I want you to vote for this one. Told them which one to vote for. 75% of the others, I know you're really eating these statistics up, 75% of the others were ready to vote for the right one, but when they saw their peers and their friends adamantly voting for the wrong one, they all changed their vote. This is an age of conformity. We're going to live for God according to God's Word and law if I am the only one on the block that's doing it, if I'm the only one in my class that's doing it, if I'm the only one in my group. I'm going to live according to the Word of God. That's what they're saying. Anybody ready to sign the document? Specifically, they said in verses 30 through 39 some things. I want you to notice those. They said they would not conform in, in several realms. One was in the realm of the home. Look at verse 30. I want to take the time to read it. It says, And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. In the realm of the home, they said, we're going to be different. Okay, now watch this. In our date life, well, I should say, in your day life, it's in case you misunderstand me, I, uh, are you going to be different? You say, well, I don't have a date life. Well, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll pray for you. I know it's hurting, it's terrible, but we'll work on it with you. In your date life, are you going to be different? In your choice... That in uh, concerning marriage, are you going to be different? That's what he's asking. In your home, are you going to be different? I mean, are you willing to be different in your home? That is, are you going to begin? Will you begin to teach the word of God in your home to be distinctive from the people of the land? Will you do that? Will you begin to discipline according to the Word of God as a parent to be distinct from the people of the land? Will you train up a, your child in the way he should go and be distinct from the people of the land? Will you be different in your home life? Will they hear you pray? Will they see your 
spirit of disposition after the mind of Christ. He's saying in the realm of our home, we're going to sign the document and from this time forward in my date life, in my marriage choice, in my home, it's going to be different from the world. You ready to sign the document? Secondly, in society, he said, we're going to be different. Verse 31 of chapter 10. Let me read it. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we'll not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the, exact, and the, exaction, of every day, the exaction of every day. Now what that looks like is that they're making a promise they won't work on Sunday. It doesn't mean that. Well, it means that, but it's much more. You know, um, a guy can say, well, I just won't work on Sunday and be the meanest guy in the block. You know, that, don't make him, that doesn't make him. What he's saying is, the implication is that they are not going to lose their distinction out in society so that when he does business, he does it with integrity and honesty. He, he's saying, when I'm asked to do a day's work, I'm going to do a day's work. When I'm told to be on time, be at a certain place at a certain time, I'm going to be punctual. When I'm trusted not to take something, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to be different in, in the realm of my vocation and avocation than the people of the land. Keith Miller in his book, Taste of New Wine, says the strangest thing to me, this is his quote, the strange thing to me, that there are some Christians who are genuinely sincere and faithful on Sunday and church matters, but almost totally pagan in the day out, day in, day out guts of employment, office life, and business practices. End of quote. When it comes to society, this is the way I'm going to earn my living. I'm going to do it honestly and with integrity. You can count on me to be different as a businessman and as a man who moves out there in the sphere of society. You ready to sign the document? I'm going to answer softly to turn away wrath. That's my promise. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully use me. That's my promise in the realm where I, in the sphere where I live. I'm going to win my enemy over with love. I'm going to moderate my desire when I know that I have enough of what I, what I want already. I'm going to overcome evil with good. I'm going to share my goods with those in need in a way that barters on the sacrificial. Are you ready to sign that document? That's incredible. What a change it would make in the world we did. In the place of worship, he said, we're going to do some, we make some promises. Now, if you want to get down into heavy stuff, you read 32 through 39. I mean, he even talks about tithing there. You get down to verse 39, he says, look at that promise they made in verse 39. Last phrase, last sentence, he says, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Now you read the verses that precede it from 32 to 39 and you won't, it's, not a, it's a flat out bald faced statement of what it means to neglect the house of God. And he's listed them there. 
Wish I had time to do that. Wish I had the nerve. I'm not, I mean, wish I had the... No, I'm kidding. He said, we're not going to neglect the house of God anymore. The, the ministry of God. The work of God. Some of you are and some of you have. Where's the TV camera? Some of you have and some of you are neglecting the ministry of God. And he said, I am not going to do that anymore. I'm going to make some promises to put God's work first. I'm going to make the promise to put the important things where they belong. I'm going to give God His first place of priority. Put me in the document. I'm ready to sign and seal it and let there be a curse come on me if I don't do it. Pretty heavy stuff. Now, there are three applications to this study. Let me give you those. Then we'll ride off into the sunset. Guns blazing. Number one. Serious thought, serious thought precedes any significant change. You get that? Serious thought precedes any significant change. Now I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna make a little confession here. For about two or three last two or three weeks, I'm, I've been doing some serious thought thinking about giving some serious thought about what God wants for me at this point in my life. I've been really thinking about it, and I've been spending some hours.